0: Good morning everyone and welcome to a special edition of A Vision For You. My name is Leah and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Sunday, August 12th, 2012, and we present you this morning with an abstinence panel. A Vision For You is dedicated to the study, discussion, and teaching of the Program of Recovery outlined in the first 164 pages of the big book one of the most important facts we've learned recently in the doctor's opinion is that we have a twofold illness allergy of the body and obsession of the mind in the doctor's opinion we've heard we believe that the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy, that the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. Dr. Opinion also states the only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. Two of the most obvious signs of compulsive overeating are denial and dishonesty. Ashamed by compulsive overeating Most compulsive overeaters lie about the amount and types of food they've eaten. This pattern of lying and denial becomes so ingrained in a compulsive overeater's personality that he or she is oftentimes unable to discern the truth. Well, an essential part of the beginning of the recovery process and separation from the binge foods, is being honest, coming out of that denial about both past and present binge foods and eating behaviors. Compulsive overeaters live with the mistaken belief that things just happened to them with without any action or say on their part. And this morning we have three recovered compulsive overeaters on our panel, Kim, Rick, and Joe, and each speaker will have an opportunity to share their experience on these ideas, perhaps stimulate some thoughts and some willingness on everyone's part. After all three speakers have shared, we will then offer a question and answer period for everyone on the line here. This morning, I'm happy to introduce Kim as our first speaker. Kim, good morning to you. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, my fellows. My name is
1: Kim. I am a recovered compulsive overeater, and I am so excited, so excited, especially because we just finished up the doctor's opinion, which which is the chapter that tells me who and what I am. So I am a compulsive overeater. So what does that mean? So I'm going to go to the doctor's opinion on page XXX. It talks about the different types of alcoholics. And then in the fifth paragraph down, it says, all these and many others have one symptom in common. They cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. This phenomenon, as we have suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy which differentiates these people and sets them apart as a distinct entity. So the first thing we have to do is know what an allergy is. You know, an allergy, I always thought, was when you ate certain something, then you break out in a rash. But the definition of an allergy is an abnormal reaction. And that's what makes me a compulsive overeater. When I ingest my binge foods, my trigger foods, I have an abnormal reaction. So, for example, I am not an alcoholic. You know, I can sit down next to an alcoholic, and I can have five shots of tequila. And the alcoholic can have five shots of the tequila, my reaction is I'm going to get drunk. Their reaction is they're going to get drunk. That's a normal reaction. The allergy is I don't want to have any more tequila. I feel sick. I feel nauseous. I don't want that feeling anymore. The alcoholic is going to not only want my tequila, they're going to want to go out and, and find more alcohol and more alcohol. So what does that mean for me? You know, when I went to Thanksgiving dinner, I, I'd sit down next to my father who's a foot taller than me and I would eat as much as he ate. And he would feel nauseous and uncomfortable and say, oh, I can't believe I did it again this one day out of the year. Me, I'd be looking to volunteer to clean up every, um, the dishes, so I'd eat all the leftovers, I'd be having napkins filled with all the desserts, and I'd be going into the bathroom and I'd be binging, and I would eat, wait straight through New Year's Day. So that's the abnormal reaction. But on top of that, I have what is the obsession of the mind. I have a bigger problem. On page 23, and there is a solution, It that these observations, or knowing that I have these trigger foods, would be academic and pointless if our friend never took the first drink, thereby setting the terrible cycle in motion. Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. You know, I have an allergy to penicillin. I had a really bad reaction as a child. I do not need to go to Penicillin Anonymous. I don't get sick when, I'm a doc- when I go to the doctor and say, God, doctor, give me penicillin. I know you want me to have this other medicine, but I want penicillin. And I don't try to calm him into giving me a little bit of penicillin and a lot of the other drugs. But that's what I do with the food. I think, well, maybe there's a threshold. Maybe I can just have a little bit of my binge food. Maybe if I, if I only have two ounces of my binge food, three ounces is when I'm going to start to have the allergic reaction. So I must be abstinent. And I'm going to go back to the doctor's opinion again because I think this is something in a lot of the rooms we think is that the goal is abstinence. We're going to do the steps. We're going to do these tools. And the goal is to get abstinent. And the doctor's opinion clearly tells us that abstinence is the beginning. So on page XXI, it says following the elimination of alcohol. On XXVI, it says it is imperative that a man's brain be cleared Before, I keep my own writing, Um, before um, there was the craving for alcohol. XXVII, it says, of course, an alcoholic ought to be free from his physical craving for alcohol. And on XXXI, it says, following his physical rehabilitation. So first we have to be abstinent, and that allows us the clarity of mind to get to the program of recovery. So how does that that? manifest in me as a compulsive overeater. So I'm going to go back to the doctor's opinion. On XSVIII, this was the paragraph that broke down that denial that Leah was talking about. It says, men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it's injurious, they cannot, after a time, differentiate the true from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only one what is that elusive feeling? You know, I just thought I liked Oreos. I like Oreos, so I eat Oreos. But what I started to recognize when I was going through this, this program was that I, there was an effect. When I was hyperactive and I couldn't calm myself down, I would eat food to calm down. When I was sad and I didn't know how to act, I would eat certain foods that would make me feel a little bit happier. When I was so exhausted I couldn't get energy, I would eat other foods to just pep me up. And eventually, I just got to the point where I just binged and binged because I wanted the anesthesia of not feeling at all. It also says that our alcohol life becomes the only normal one. And the fact that it feels so normal, we don't understand that this is not how other people react to food. You know, when I was in college, I would go from drive-thru to drive-thru, just ordering food for an imaginary boyfriend and sitting in the parking lot and crying as I ate the food. You know, I sort of understood the fact that the first bite was hard, so I would starve myself all day, and then I would binge from 8 o'clock on. You know, when I was going out to dinner with people, I had to eat at dinner before going to dinner. You know, I would often eat in bathrooms at family dinners because I was embarrassed by the way that I ate. You know, I would order a whole pizza And I would eat three-quarters of it, and I would throw it in the trash. And initially what I would do is I'd wrap it in tinfoil, because I knew at 2 o'clock in the morning I was going to get up and I was going to eat that, and I didn't want it to be dirty. And then when I'm like, no, I have to be stronger than this, I would then throw it in without being wrapped up. And I would still get up at 2 o'clock in the morning and eat it. And then I thought, well, what I'll do is I'll put Ajax on it. I'll poison it, and that way I won't get up at 2 o'clock in the morning. And I would still get up at 2 o'clock in the morning with tears rolling down my eyes, as I would take my hand and try to rub the Ajax off, and I would still eat it. You know, I started to have to have food in my end table in the morning, well, I'm on the bedside. I'd have to have it in the car to get me to work. I'd have to have it in the, my desk at work. You know, one of my last binges was, I mean, in this program, I had been a size 24. I went down to a size 2 where I didn't have a period anymore. And I've been at a normal body size in binging and purging. So when I was in L.A. and I was this human calculator of all the calories, I knew how many calories would earn me a Snickers bar. I knew how many calories that I had to burn to do this. And I wanted to earn a binge or I was making up for a binge. And I started binging and I had this calculator in my mind and I I lost. I forgot. I forgot to keep track of all the calories. And I was eating frozen foods that shouldn't be eating frozen. And I was just opening up cans of stuff that should be heated up and I was eating it and I panicked. So I dumped the trash can on the ground, and I started pulling out all the the wrappers, and I started adding them up in my mind, and I realized I looked like a heroin addict looking for a needle. And I just rocked back and forth, and that was the moment that I surrendered to a food plan. So what happened when I came into L.A.? They started to talk about these things called trigger foods. You know, what, what did I have? How could I identify these foods? What did that mean in my world? So, um... On page XXVIII, it says, we believe and so suggested a few years ago that the action of alcohol in these chronic alcoholics was a manifestation of an allergy, that the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. These allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. And then it continues down the bottom where it says, um, let's see, on page XXX, it says, it has never been by any treatment, which we have familiar, permanently eradicated. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. So I didn't know what that meant. But what a person told me was, I want you to commit your food to me every day. I don't care what you commit. I just want you to commit. If you want to commit an ice cream Sunday, commit an ice cream Sunday. And what I found was I had no idea how much I was eating. And no matter what I committed, even if it was my favorite food, I couldn't eat just what I committed. And I started to understand that I could not stop once I ingested those foods. And I went to this one meeting where I was crying to this woman, but you don't understand when I eat this food, when I eat Doritos, when I eat nachos, when I eat pasta, when I eat a, you know, I, I can't stop eating. And the woman very calmly said to me, did you ever notice all those foods have flour in it? And it stopped me in my tracks. Because it was the first time that someone talked to me about the allergy. And I am not saying everyone's trigger food. I'm going to talk specifically about my trigger foods. But it was the first time someone ever talked to me where I started to think about ingredients. Not how pretty the package was, but the ingredients. And I went to a meeting where they defined abstinence in a specific way. They defined abstinence as, as sugar, flour, wheat, and caffeine. And what I had to recognize was I was too damn drunk to know even what my trigger foods were. And I was so desperate. I said, okay, whatever you say. And I was happy about the caffeine because I don't, like, I don't like coffee. Cool. But the flour, I felt a death. I felt a grieving. So I just was willing to do what they said, and then the mind started to clear. I started to see that it was the ingredients in the food. I, those were my triggers. You know, people used to joke with me, oh, Kim, when I have an omelet with ketchup, why don't you have a little bit of omelet with your ketchup? You know, when I had French fries, why don't you have a little bit of French fries with your ketchup? And I started to recognize that ketchup was pure sugar. So I had a big condiment problem. It wasn't even the food I was eating. I put so much condiments on stuff just because that was what was giving me the French fries and the almond was the vehicle to get those binge foods into me. You know, what will you get up in the middle of the night, put on your fuzzy slippers, and go out to get? That's what your trigger foods are. And then I started to see that it wasn't the sixth donut was the problem, it was the first donut. So as my mind started to clear, I started to get some some clarity. I remember my mom saying to me as a kid, can nobody ever starve between lunch and dinner? But that's how I felt. And because the allergy wasn't being triggered, because I was put my bench boots down, I wasn't having that phenomenon of craving, because the craving only happens when we ingest it. And I heard it again this week at a meeting. So I think in a way, often we confuse the freedom from the allergy not being triggered to re- with recovery. You know, when you put down the food in 7 days, 14 days, 21 days, I hear people say, oh, the the the, um, the obsession has been removed. That's not the obsession. That's the allergy being triggered. And that's why abstinence is so important. When we start to get that clarity because the allergy isn't being triggered, that's when we absolutely have to run to the steps. And we often hear, you know, when you... We put the food in you're going to feel better uh, you know that's why I eat I'm going to feel anger better. I'm going to feel depression better and I'm going to feel resentment better so what happens when I'm absent? I get restless I get irritable and I get discontent you know every time I broke up with a guy it was like a menage a trois every Saturday night me Ben and Jerry you know I was eating the best of the best food but by the end I was eating out of trash cans and cheap stuff so I could get more I started to have that fishbowl fog of not being able to understand what people were saying. You know, constantly saying I was just going to have one. So what I did is I went to a nutritionist, and I went to a nutritionist, and I interviewed her. I said, "See, I am in a 12-step program. Do you know what that means? I have allergies to certain foods. Do you know what that means? And I was grateful to find someone who understood 12-step programs who asked me about a sponsor, who asked me what steps I was working on. And for me, what I had to do was I had to weigh and measure my food. And I'll tell you that some of the reasons, you know, when all these wholesale places came out, you know, like BJ's and Sam's, and I heard, you know, we can, I can only have one. To me, you know, one was a box of spaghetti, you know, one pound. When BJ's came out, it was a three-pound box, so that was one. I didn't pay attention to the fact it was for a family of ten. So I needed those boundaries around this food. When, it's, when someone said that, it's, you know, a serving of something is the palm of your hand, I thought that was whiff. I would pile up mashed potatoes so it was two feet high and say, that's just one. And what weighing and measuring did for me was it gave me the freedom. I thought it was a restriction, but I could enjoy the first bite to the last bite because it was that boundary that I could enjoy my food. I had to start reading labels. I had to recognize it was the ingredients in the food that was triggering me, not how pretty the food was. A Snickers bar which has sugar was just as dangerous as a granola bar that had sugar. Because however nutritious the real world thought a granola bar was, it was the trigger food of sugar that was setting me off. At that point, I had to start looking at behaviors. You know, I was a grazer. I had to recognize that when I committed my food, you know, me and my nutritionist worked it out, that I had three meals and a snack, that I could not eat in between. I had to look at where I ate because I had to be conscious. You know, I couldn't be, you know, I had to eat at home for a great deal of time so I could be conscious. I had to know the timing of the meals in between. I had to learn to look at, at uh, menus differently. I never thought I could eat in an Italian restaurant again. But what I found was I could order the food I wanted over broccoli rock or sautéed spinach instead of pasta so I could still go out and enjoy those meals. And what I found was, um, like for example, I bought a car a couple years ago and I wanted to buy a Honda Civic and suddenly on the road all I saw were Honda Civics because that's where my focus was. And that's what it was with menus. Because I only wanted my binge foods, I thought that was the only food on the menu. But what I found was, there's a lot of good food on the menu. I don't have to eat my binge foods. There's there's tons of foods that I can eat, so I have to learn how to do that. I don't food shop when I'm hungry because I will buy too much and I will buy the wrong thing. Um, Once again, the craving. The craving is only when I ingest the foods. And if my mind is clean... My mind is clean, and I want to go back to the food. I have to recognize that's the obsession of the mind. And what my mind says is it remembers what the food does for me and not what the food does to me. And I'm going to sum up pretty soon. Um, I would say that also, too, diets do work. If you are not a compulsive overeater, and someone tells you calories in and calories out, That's going that will work for a non-compulsive overeater. But I am a compulsive overeater. I'm going to go to page 44 in We Agnostics in that first paragraph. It says, if, when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely, which is the obsession of the mind, so we're abstinent and we keep going back, or if, when drinking, you have little control over the amount you take, which is what is just the allergy of the body, So once we pick up the food, we cannot stop. Um, So you probably are alcoholic. So that to me is telling me that I am a compulsive overeater. And I just want to end with saying that the promise of this program is not that we're not going to have to eat. The promise of this program is we are not going to want to eat. And that is if we are willing to put the food down first to get abstinent and we run to those steps, We apply these steps, we get that spiritual awakening, and the problem will be solved.
0: And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. I now welcome Rick to the line.
2: Good morning. My name is Rick. I am a compulsive overeater. It's good to be here today, and um, I feel honored. You know, I got some... uh, phone calls, and text messages this morning wishing me luck. And one of them was from a real good friend who said, don't forget to tell them you're a recovered compulsive overeater. Well, that's not a word that um, we use too much in our face-to-face meetings. And I go to some very strong, big book, step study meetings. And... um, So I'm going to start by by talking a little bit about that, and I know that's not the focus of today's talk. But um, what does that mean? Well, one, it means we've put down our binge food or we've followed our plan of eating. Then we've implemented these steps. And not only did we implement these steps, we saw results from the implementation of those steps. We saw a, a change in our personality. And that's what happened to me when I worked the steps. There were points along the road where I didn't quite know what was going on and people told me, that's God. Well, when I got into step nine and began making those amends, I was truly amazed. Something happened that I was not capable of doing. So in that sense... I have a a personality change. How does that, what does that have to do with my eating? Well, the reason I picked up these steps is because I was a compulsive overeater. And you people told me that working these steps would solve my problem. And by getting tangible results by working those steps, that's much more important to live that way of life than it is to pick up that cupcake. That's the best way that I can explain it um it's not a It's not a entry point into superstardom it's not a a test you pass when you're recovered. It just means that you have results from working these steps so i I just thought i'd I'd start with that, and it's more for my benefit than to for yours because I needed to say it and it was it was a person who practiced these this program that reminded me to do that. So for that, you know, I'm grateful. So as far as abstinence, well, um, my top weight was about a, a 280 pounds. Um, that occurred April 9th of 1989. And I uh, coincidentally was in an alcohol detox at that point. So I am an alcoholic, and I am also a compulsive overeater. I was 280 pounds, and I was a mess. Um, That was my top weight. But long before that, I was a compulsive overeater. As long as I can remember, I had issues with with food. And when I say issues, I was the fat kid in the neighborhood, the fat kid in the family, the fat kid in the classroom. Um, Never remember not being fat. Now, I wasn't gigantic but I always had weight issues, and I always had food issues. I was always stealing food, um, hiding food, um, grabbing extra. Um, Two times when I was a kid, I remember getting caught shoplifting Were stealing uh, Tootsie Rolls one time and some other kind of chocolate space food stick. I remember them. They came out uh, when the space program was a big deal, and uh, I got caught. So that that tells me right there I had issues with food. I uh, did things when I was a kid. I used to get into my mother's baking supplies. I'd go into the sugar bowl. I'd do things that people wouldn't notice, Um, grab slices of bread, um, try to eat things that satisfied uh, my need that people weren't going to see. So I was hiding that from a young age. Um. I was a fussy eater. I always loved to eat cookies, cakes, candy, and chips. Those were the things I would always eat. I didn't want to eat green things. I didn't want to eat vegetables. They weren't uh, They weren't for me. My brother, um, if there was a uh, Snickers bar and an orange in the refrigerator, my brother would give me the candy bar and he'd take the orange and he'd be just as happy. If I was stuck with the orange, I didn't want any part of it. Um, so... As a kid, you know, I I ate um, binge foods. I ate sh- basically sugar and flour products right along, and I I went on diets even at a young age, and uh, you know I I was kind of successful. Um, when I got into high school, I had gone on another diet. My weight was kind of normal, but I still loved those those uh, sugary and those. Uh, flour products Uh, i didn't i never gave them up i just ate less of them and was able to control my weight well uh when i started drinking i pretty much gave up the battle with the food Um, through college and after college i just didn't care i ate whatever i wanted and i ended up uh you know ballooning to like i said 280 pounds so when I uh, quit drinking, I did lose a bunch of a bunch of weight. I lost about forty pounds real quick, and you know, it wasn't automatic. I I went on a diet. That's how I lost the weight, and um, it got tougher after that first chunk of weight. I um, battled the food for for many years and basically yo-yoed. I think one time. For about a split second, I got below 200 pounds, and then the weight just went back up. Um, what I was doing was uh, was was yo-yoing. I'd get into a pair of pants that fit, and it seemed like I'd wear them once, and then I would never wear those pants again. I'd go back to the different size clothes I had, and it's no different than uh, I hear it at meetings. I had several different... Sizes of clothes, and I would I would wear whatever I could, the smallest size that I could fit into. Um, and that went on for about twenty years, maybe maybe eighteen years. And I I saw a thing on TV on a news magazine about binge eating disorder, and I saw the way people ate, and I said, Wow, that's me. That's the way I eat. And um, I was kind of amazed, and that's what got me in, interested in OA. I sought out my first OA meeting online, and then I went to a face-to-face meetings But I basically, and I, and I had some success. I was at about 240 pounds when I came in. I lost about 40 pounds by going on a diet. And I said, wow, I got this thing licked. I'm losing weight, not everybody else was, and I'm doing good. Well, what I found out was after losing that 40 pounds, the weight started ticking back up again, just like every other diet. Um, it didn't come back as quick, and it didn't come back altogether. And what I really love is uh, one, of, one of the speakers we hear on this line um, talks about the forward to the second edition. And it, it talks about, of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way, 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. I never read that before. And um, I, was, I was amazed when um, one of the speakers we've had pointed that paragraph out. And that paragraph probably makes more sense for a compulsive overeater than it does for an alcoholic. I mean, I don't really know what um, showing improvement with alcoholism meant, but I do know what showing improvement with overeating meant. It meant that I wasn't eating as much as I was, and my my weight was better than it was. So I love it when uh, things in the book... Uh, jump out at us. And uh, I, I I thank somebody for, for showing that. So anyway, um, in way, losing weight, the weight starts going back on. And I had heard a lot of things about binge foods. I had heard a lot about the sugar and flour. And I knew sugar and flour was a big issue for me. It was, those were my binge foods, cookies, cakes, candies, and chips. And I had reduced consumption of those, but Never eliminated them. Um, I can remember talking about it at a meeting saying uh, you know i gotta I gotta cut out the sugar and flour and I remember somebody saying, "Well, I cut out sugar and flour, but I still gained weight so i didn't didn't know quite what was going on, but how could i? I was still eating those things so I remember having coffee with a friend after an o a meeting and we were talking, and I said, well, my food has been pretty good. And she said to me, pretty good isn't abstinent. And I don't think I ever heard that before. That's We hear that a lot in OA. My food's been pretty good. And that's, that's the code word for not abstinent. So I was determined the next day I wasn't going to eat sugar and flour products. It was Easter Sunday, and the desserts came out at the place I was at, at my sister's house. I wasn't going to eat them, wasn't going to eat them, wasn't going to eat them. And sure as heck, I ate the desserts. The following day, I had new resolve. I wasn't going to eat sugar and flour products, and I didn't. And it went on for, I don't know, seven days. I went back to a meeting, and I told people, I haven't had sugar and flour products for a week. And, the, and I was nervous to even say that. And people say, saying, oh, that's good. That's great. And then the same girl that uh, told me pretty good was an abstinence. It was about two weeks later, and I think I had 19 days of no sugar and flour products, she gave me a card. And she said, 19 days. What a milestone. Congratulations. And that's what I did. I counted the days without eating the sugar and flour products. And I was the type of person that would go into a, a a Walmart for a can of spray paint, and I would come out with a can of spray paint and a box of cookies. I would go into a even a Home Depot, and I'd be thrilled at Christmas when they had some, some kind of gift items at the front registers that were candy or cookies or something like that. That's the way I ate. So, I was able to stop eating the sugar and flour products, and I put together a bunch of time—I um, don't know, uh, three, four, five, six months—and I said, uh, "What now?" And at that point, I uh, started looking at the steps, and I kind of, sort of did them, but I didn't—I uh, didn't do them thoroughly. But I got a, a little bit of willingness. But that wasn't really the end of the story. Um, Well, just kind of going back to the abstinence thing, to the food, um, my weight went down to about 185 pounds just by eliminating those items. That's about what I've been. That's about what I am now, and I've been that way for almost two, two and a half years. So by putting down those items... My weight went to what it is now, Um, just about normal, slightly higher than what a a doctor's chart would say. I get on to one of those machines that puts the electrical pulses through your body and measures your, your, your lean muscle and your bones and your fat, and I come out to just about normal, high normal, but just about normal. And I've been that way for over two years. But that wasn't really the end of the story when it comes to abstinence because I had only gotten rid of sugar and flour products. And I I had stopped eating bread, but there were some whole grain items that I figured I could have, um, some kind of whole grain, sugar-free muffin thing that I used to make. And it uh, was a very easy recipe, and it was sugar-free, it was whole grain, and it wasn't. It wasn't long after putting down uh, the, the the cookies and the cakes that I realized that those items that was a binge food, even though it was whole grain. So I had I put that down, and I realized that even whole grain items weren't going to do it for me. Um, I I love whole grain bread. I I prefer whole grain bread to white bread. So that wasn't going to do it for me. Yeah. Uh, to to allow myself the whole grain so there was another item that i discovered that i couldn't eat um what i also kind of figured out was that i was drinking too much milk milk i loved it and a gallon of milk would last three or four days i was drinking just too much it didn't matter whether it was skim milk or whole milk i was drinking too much milk so i stopped buying milk and I figured I'd buy cream for my coffee. Well, I quit quit buying the milk. Wasn't drinking it with meals or any other time. And I'd be putting cream in my coffee. But what I noticed is if I took a sip of that cream, boy, it tasted good. So I was drinking the cream that I bought for my coffee. There again, that cream was a binge food, so I had to stop Buying cream now I wasn't drinking quarts of cream, but I saw that behavior was ridiculous to be sipping on a on a small cup of cream or or sipping out of the cotton. Another item that was very similar to that was uh butter um I would have butter in the house, but I found that if I was using butter, I would put too much butter on anything. Uh, baked potato, slathered in butter, uh, rice cakes. I would put butter on them, and I looked at it and I said, Ah, this is this is this is crazy. So I uh, I switched to like a margarine or a butter spread or something like that. Well, I did the same thing. It didn't matter what what kind of food it was. So I had to stop buying. The the margarines and the butter, I I don't keep them in the house Um, because once I started eating them, I couldn't stop Um, that phenomenon of craving. And Kim did such a great job of pointing those definitions out. Uh, The next thing I kind of looked at was the diet soda. I was drinking six or eight or maybe more diet sodas a day. I was also eating um, sugar-free popsicles and sugar-free gum and those kind of things. And I I didn't know, I had read a little bit about um, diet foods triggering that sweet tooth. And I wasn't sure about that, but all I knew was all that, that chemical was not good. So uh, I decided I was going to cut down on the Diet Coke and wean myself off of it well as any true compulsive overeater i had a stockpile of it so it took a while to cut down and wean off to the point where i don't drink diet coke anymore i don't eat sugar-free popsicles i don't eat sugar-free gum um and sugar-free candy because those things just get to be uh binge items for me even though they're they're calorie free so that was that was uh, kind of a big deal, and I can re- I I spoke to a friend at school that I work with, and uh, she was battling the weight, and she said, um, "Geez, you're doing so good. What are you doing?" Well, I don't usually throw the O A thing out there, but what I said was um, sugar and flour products, and she said, "Well, I'm a diet coke addict." I says, "Well, I quit those too." She goes, "Really?" I says, "Yeah." There's a, I said. Look it up online you'll see about triggering cravings and stuff like that. She quit the diet Coke and she lost twenty five pounds. So the diet Coke was a binge ingredient for me too um, so it was it was those items that I found that I had to get rid of, and it fits in so perfectly with um the doctor's opinion i ate the same way that I drank. So when I went into the doctor's opinion and I read the way that they talked about phenomenon of craving, I was just so simply able to plug in the sugar and the flour products for those items. And it fit it fit, fit perfectly. The sugar was a drug. The flour was a drug. Why why flour people a lot of people don't get the flour thing? Well it's 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 milled and it's refined and it's basically partially digested by the time you get it in your body, so it's into your blood bloodstream real quick. Um, so those things I I can't eat. Um, so you know, right now you know, like I said, my weight has been stable for a couple of years. I've been wearing the same clothes. For two years, I'm actually wore, wearing out some clothing that I've actually worn without um, going up to a different size. Uh, it's kind of amazing. Um, I don't think I was at my weight has been this consistent for this long a time. Uh, I, matter of fact, I know it hasn't. Uh, maybe, maybe in high school, it might have been close, but um I was I was basically on a diet 24-7. So anyway, um, the reason I was asked to come on to the panel is because um, I guess the other panelists are weighers and measurers. And I always say uh, I reserve my right to weigh and measure because, you know, that may be something that I'll want to do down the road. I don't have to do it right now. I found by eliminating those binge foods, I was able to maintain a proper weight and I'm not eating compulsively. So if if you're a weigher and a measurer, well, obviously, you're going to continue to do what works for you. And I admire the people that are able to do that with that food. And probably their nutrition is better than mine because they're they're putting exactly the right amount of ingredients into their body. So, I'm certainly not here to uh, to go against that. But I think the message that I'm giving might be more applicable to a newcomer, um, a newcomer that doesn't want to um, get into that weighing and measuring routine, or doesn't think they can. And if if you look at it the way I ended up looking at it, as those items as being drugs, sugar, flour being binge items, um, going right into your bloodstream real quick, quick, uh, you can't get enough, then maybe that would be a simpler way for some people to get started. And then eventually you can figure out how, You're going to handle your food, and you're going to define the way uh, your plan of eating is. Um, Not everybody is going to be the same. Um, So anyway, uh, that's pretty much where what I do with the food and how I got there, Um, and I'll pass with that, and thank you.
0: Thank you, Rick, very much, and now... I welcome Joe to the line. Good morning, Joe.
3: Good morning, Leia, and good morning to everyone. It's really an honor to be with you this morning and share my experience, strength, and hope around abstinence, and and thank you, Kim and Rick, for your stories. It lets me know that I really am in the right place. Um, My name is Joe. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. One day at a time, I am recovering, Uh, have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. I want to tell you uh, where I come from. Uh, My high weight was 254 pounds. Uh, that was morbid obesity for someone of my frame and height. I had food hangovers every day. I would wake up in the morning sick from the previous night's binging uh, and never wanted to eat breakfast. I would stay in bed as long as I possibly could and then get up, you know, run in the shower, throw my clothes on, and run out to work. I felt really lethargic in the morning because of the binging I had done the night before and it would be about you know get to be about two o'clock in the afternoon and my stomach would start this gurgling and it would be sort of the the second layer of the food hangover taking effect and I didn't want to go through that I didn't want to go through that second layer of nausea and the hot head and everything like that and so I would go to the convenience store that was in the building where I worked and get some items and uh, and eat those and get some sugar and eat that. And then when I got off work at 7, and 7, 7 or 7.30 at night, I would go and really do my binging at the convenience store, the grocery store, the movies, and binge for several hours. I would come home and then raid the refrigerator and raid the, the pantry, watching junk television for several hours, and then wake up the next day and the whole thing would start all over again. Um, I had stashes of food in my car, uh, underneath my car seat, in in my my glove compartment, in my dresser drawer, under my bed. Um, When I went to parties, movies, holiday gatherings, the one primary reason I ever was there was to overeat. It wasn't to enjoy the good-tasting food or to use food as a way to be social or to celebrate or to relax. It was to overeat. So that I could get the drug in my system and make me feel better. I binged in my car a lot. I would stop at Super America, which is a, a convenience store, and I would go in and buy loads of sugar and flour and. And, and that kind of thing, and I would go out to my car, and I would, I would shut the doors and lock the doors. It would be 10 o'clock at night in the dark parking lot of Super America, and I would binge my brains out, and I remember the feeling of taking the first bite of the sugary whatever and lurching back into my seat like I was like being launched off of a rocket pad or something. It was, ext- it was intensely pleasurable for a few seconds, and then I would bore into all the rest of the food. And, of course, I felt bad after doing that, but that never prevented me from doing it the next night and the next Night and the next night. I loved the way I felt in the first few moments of putting certain foods in my system—sugar, flour, high fat, high salt, and volume. Uh, The the really bad uh, you know bottom that I hit was reflected in the things that uh, that I that I just told you about, and food was taking an increasingly larger role in my everyday world and dictating the way I was living. I remember walking out of my bank one time and I saw a penny candy dispenser in the entryway of the bank and I remember pausing and saying to myself, I should remember that that's here in case I'm ever in the neighborhood and I need a fix. I mean, that was that was my thinking. Um, that's not normal thinking. Um, it's not normal thinking to be planning to go to an enjoyable social event like maybe it's a, p- a party at a, a coworker's house and think, oh, I wonder what kind of food they're going to have. Is there a grocery store nearby so that I can leave the party early and then go do my binging? Uh, it's not normal to leave a party early because you have to take advantage of the fact that the fast food restaurants in your town at the time closed at 10 p.m. And I needed to leave the party in time to get there before they closed. That's not normal. That's food running my world. Uh, I was an overeater since about the age of seven or eight. I remember seeing a photograph of myself at the age of eight in a dance recital costume. And I'm clearly heavy, not just a little bit pudgy, but I mean, I'm, I'm heavy. So I was overeating from a young age. And once I entered into the arena of being a compulsive overeater, it did nothing but get worse. I remember uh, in in um, grade school, my overeating was done at meals. In junior high and high school, the overeating took a different turn. I was now starting to eat in bathroom stalls. I was starting to shoplift food. That's the only thing I ever shoplifted was food. And I didn't shoplift, you know, fresh grapes. I shoplifted the good stuff, you know, the sugar, the flour, the salt, the fat, the crunch, etc. Um My weight continued to climb over the years. I remember being a teenager and fitting into a size 14 pants, and I was just mortified that I had gotten up to a size 14. Well... You know, 20 years later, I was in a size 24. Um, And I just tell you a clothing size so that you can know the kind of eating that I was doing that created this massive, you know, body. I couldn't stop the overeating. I thought there was something wrong with me. I thought there's just something morally deficient about me. I grew up in a family of four kids. During our growing up years, I was the only one of the kids who had this eating problem. I remember in high school, waiting out the rest of the family, to go to bed so that I could raid the pantry and the refrigerator and so that nobody would see me. And I was doing that on a really regular basis. I remember going to the vending machine at the ice room. I used to be a figure skater and go to the vending machine and get the big sugary thing and uh, go into the bathroom and eat it. Or I would hide it in my skating bag and I would eat it in the privacy of my bedroom when I got home. Um, I remember stopping at the convenience store, walking to High school, sometimes I would walk to school and I would stop at that same Super America and I would I'd buy a little sugary something. I would, I would go to high school and then I would um, stow away into one of the bathroom stalls and whip open that thing and shove it in my mouth and get it all in so that I could get my fix before going to my first class. And I did, I mean, I can tell you all kinds of things that I did with food, just the volume of eating and the, the way that food took over my mental state It was like the only way I felt like I could survive the world was to overeat. So I needed the food. I needed the food to survive. I don't know how I would have survived without that excess food. I have thought about this, and I have thought if I had not had excess food in my environment all those years, I would have had to have found something else. Maybe I would have found alcohol. Maybe I would have gone to cigarettes. Maybe I would have gone to illegal drugs or prescription drugs. Maybe I would have gone gone to some kind of self-abusive behavior like cutting. I mean, I had to have some kind of outlet for the spiritual storm that was going on inside. And I found what I thought was the solution was in food. Because when I overate, the first few moments of the overeating, it did take the edge off. I did feel calmed down. I felt like I was going to be okay. It was almost like it was almost like in those moments of overeating I was an infant and the food was like my mother giving me the bottle and like okay I'm going to be okay now. I'm safe. I'm taken care of. So my system developed in such a way as for me to think that I had to overeat in order to survive. And that's why dieting was so painful. And I went on a lot of diets. I would either control my own portions or I went to some paid weight loss programs a few different times. I went to an outpatient eating disorders clinic one time. And, of course, and they would have you on a, quote, normal amount of food, which for a normal eater, for someone with a normal body size, that would be a normal amount of food but it felt very threatening to me because I was not getting what my system thought was enough to survive on. I had to have too much. I had to have excess in order for me to feel like I could get by in this world. And so because dieting was so threatening, I couldn't stick with diets. They were nothing but painful to me. And so like any pain, I wanted to get it over with as soon as possible. So diets. Never lasted. I would contain my eating for a brief period of time, several weeks perhaps, and I would lose weight. And there would be times when I would lose weight down to a normal body size, but I could never stay there. And not only that, not only I never stay there, but while I was on the diet and even after I was done with the diet, the the fixation with food never left. It, it just stayed there. I remember uh, being at a normal body weight um, after my first year in college. I had gone on a diet, and I remember thinking that I could overeat sometimes in the evening, but then I would just start again the next day. And so I would do that. I, I, I remember the summer. I can tell you specific incidents when, when I did that. You know, I, I, said, I would say to myself, tonight I eat. Tomorrow I'll go back to normal eating, but tonight I eat. So tonight I ate the sugar, the flour, whatever, and the next day, I might be able to eat normally, but that whatever it was, it, it, didn't, it didn't last. It couldn't take. And I remember a year later, from that year, the ne- very next summer, I was heavier than I had ever been. So these attempts at controlling my food did not work. I did not find a sustainable solution doing that. I did not find sustainable physical recovery. I did not find peace of mind. So just in a desperate state, not having any other choices, not, not so much choices, but I didn't know what else to do, I came to Overeaters Anonymous. And wow, you know, for someone like me, an intellectual, to come to a 12-step room, I mean, that was a huge leap for me. But I came. And today I'm at a healthy weight. Uh, I'm 5'5 and a half And I weigh 132 pounds That is a normal weight for me If you saw me walking down the street You would not guess in a million years That I was a compulsive overeater Nor would you suspect that I'm an anorexic I'm at a normal body weight I'm maintaining a 120 pound weight loss My abstinence date is November 10th, 2009 I am free of food obsession today And I live a recovered life And so I've been asked to talk about abstinence So I'm going to go into some detail about my abstinence um, The foundation of my abstinence Abstinence is a basic understanding of what my problem is. And like the doctor's opinion says, it is a twofold problem. I have an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind, both of which come into play in my abstinence. There are foods that, when I eat them, light me on fire. My whole body comes alive. I become awake, alert, extremely excited. There's some anxiety in there. And I just feel like I am being skyrocketed to the moon when I eat these foods. And these foods for me are sugar, flour, high fat, high salt, and volume. Those are my five problem areas. And so today my abstinence is refraining from foods, food amounts, and food manipulations that cause me problems. Um, I got sick and tired of food running my life. I also got sick and tired while in the rooms of OA playing games with my food plan, trying to justify my food, explaining my food, debating my food, defending my food, intellectualizing my food. I got, I just got sick of that. And so I was presented with a new message uh, from a recovered compulsive overeater um, that said, Here's a way of eating that can free you from all of that. And so I started following that method. And that method for me is eating three meals a day and a metabolic at night, which is a little bit of of, uh, food at night, and weighing and measuring all of my portions, committing my food to a sponsor every day, calling in food changes, and abstaining from all foods and food behaviors that cause me problems. And so OA does not give out food plans. And this particular message that I heard was not about a food plan. It wasn't about here's a specific food plan that you're supposed to follow. But it was about being honest about what I'm doing with my food. And so I want to read you my food plan. Uh, Breakfast, I have four proteins, two starches, one fat, one fruit, and one calcium. For lunch, four proteins, two starches, one fat, one vegetable, one calcium, and one fruit. For dinner, uh, three proteins, one starch, one fat, one vegetable, and one fruit. And this metabolic, which is a little bit of food I have in the evening, is one fruit and one calcium. So that's the structure that I stay in. The particular foods that I plug in to this structure are clean foods for me. These are foods that nourish my body but do not trigger that exciting feeling. They do not trigger the anxiety. They do not trigger what the doctor's opinion calls the allergy of the body. When I eat food on my food plan, it is satisfying, it is flavorful, it is enjoyable, but it does not trigger me. In other words, I'm eating in safety. All of my food is weighed and measured. So when I say four protein servings for breakfast, whatever protein I'm having is weighed and measured. There's an, there's an exact amount. And I found myself getting to a place in my food addiction that that was necessary for me. That may not be necessary for you, but it was necessary for me. It's been extraordinarily freeing. Um, I eat, so I eat specific foods. Uh, in specific amounts, at certain times of the day, I have time windows when I eat my food. So I eat my breakfast in a certain window, lunch in a certain window, dinner in a certain window, and my metabolic in a certain window. Um, I have, So I have strict boundaries around the food. Because of the nature of my problem, I have an allergy of the body an obsession of the mind. Eating like this quiets those things down. I want to give you some examples of how I was able to um, do some detective work about some of my problem foods and and how i was able to with the help of you know sponsors and nutritionists work through these things um i'll give you an example cheese Um, what i have found is that most cheeses are unsafe for me and the reason they're unsafe for me is because they have uh, either a lot of uh, saturated fat or a lot of salt or both most cheeses have those things one or both of those things so right now there's one type of cheese that I can eat, and I know the store to get it at, and I so it's my calcium serving when I eat it. It does not bother me. It doesn't it doesn't trigger me. I don't obsess about it. It's low in saturated fat and it's low in sodium, which means the the salt content. Um, roasting um, nuts, so I. Um, used to be able to roast nuts and have those on my food plan, they became a problem. The roasting effect on the nut created a flavor that reminded me of something I used to binge on. And so I stopped roasting the nuts. So now when I eat nuts, they're raw. Um, so they, are, they do not have any um, oil, sugar, or salt on them and they're raw, and I don't roast them. Um, there are certain nuts I can eat that are safe for me and other types of nuts that I cannot eat. They would trigger me. Um, I do not eat dried fruit. I know some people can eat dried fruit on their food plan. I cannot. It's just It triggers me. Um, it, it makes me want more. It, it just creates cravings for me. So the fruit that I eat is fresh fruit or canned fruit in its own juice or just in, uh, you know, like you know, fruit fruit juice or it, it can't be any kind of a sugar item that, that it's in. Most canned fruit has some kind of added sugar. So there's only one kind of canned fruit that I'm eating right now. And until they change the other types of fruits, you know, I won't be eating those out of a can. Um, Commercial sausage, even when sugar is fifth or beyond, I cannot tolerate. I do get sausage from uh, one of my local uh, stores. They had that is just made with um, meat and seasonings, and there's no um, sugar in there, and there's no there's not e- there's either no salt or there's very little salt. The that um, meat does not trigger me. Um, salty foods, and even adding salt to food. Um, that's a problem for me. Um, so I know there are some people in program, and they can add a little. They can add some salt to their to their food, and that adds flavor for them. And it does not trigger them. That triggers me. Um, and foods that are high in salt, even there are some foods that don't even have very much salt on them. I still don't eat those. Like there are rice cakes. I have to, I have to get the rice cakes that don't have anything on them, that are, that are salt-free, that don't have any other kind of flavor. It's just the rice cake. Because when I was first trying rice cakes on my food plan, I got the kind that was lightly salted. Um, and it was only 55 milligrams of sodium per serving, which is extremely small. And I, I noticed it right. Right away, I did, And actually, I didn't even like the flavor of it, but my, my body is very sensitive to salt. Flourless products, I don't eat any flour of any kind. So the flourless products, like I could not handle flourless bread, flourless crackers. I cannot handle that. It just it does something to me. But again, there are other people in program... Who can, who can do those kinds of foods and it doesn't trigger them. And that's why, you know, I really had to be a detective about my own body because Joe, me, Joe, I have particular sensitivities that are unique to me that are not necessarily um, the same for, for other people um so flour um that was that was a big thing for me to give up when I when I finally realized oh my gosh I cannot handle flour um I remember having a fantasy. I was in a way and I remember having a fantasy one time of of cooking a baked item but without the sugar i was thinking okay I'll bake it and I'll binge on it but it won't have any sugar in it well what was the main ingredient in that thing flour and I realized oh my gosh I am looking to binge on a flower, a flower. and I had heard people in O.A. talk about flour, but I thought, oh no, I got. To. But no, flowers and everything. I can't give up flour. Well, I ended up giving up flour because I realized flour is not a safe ingredient for me. Um, the doctor's opinion says frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices. The message which can interest and hold these alcoholic types must have depth and weight. And I just love that. The message that that could interest and hold me as a compulsive overeater with regard to my abstinence had to have depth and weight. And my food plan today has depth and weight in that it's highly structured. It takes into account the very severe condition that I have. I'm a very low-bottom, compulsive overeater, and you know what? I want my freedom. I did not come into this world to be in bondage to food. I have more important things to do than to worry about what am I going to eat today. And I don't have the time and I don't have the patience anymore to debate my sponsor about I should be able to have this food and I should be able to have that food and I want to have that food. And, well, gee, it's a party. Well, gee, I'm going out to eat. Well, gee, it's a special occasion, so I should be able to blah, 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 blah. I got sick of my own justifications and I got sick of trying to present myself in a certain way in the fellowship. Um, I mean, I remember um, getting a sugar abstinence medallion at one of my former OA meetings and I had been eating a sugary product at breakfast because I wanted to be someone who got a medallion. You know, I just got sick of all of that. And my abstinence is not about performing an image for anybody You know, it's not about performing something for my sponsor. I call my sponsor every day and I tell her what I'm going to eat. That's because that's what I need to do for my sanity. That's not about presenting an image of something to my sponsor. I had to get honest with myself about what I needed to do for my freedom. I'm going to die someday. I am not willing to die of this. I am not willing to die with my head full of food thoughts. So I have freedom today, and it begins with my abstinence. It does not end with my abstinence, but it begins there. I cannot have recovery without having abstinence. So it is the basic, essential, fundamental starting point for me. So that is my share, and I'll pass, and thank you for listening.
0: Thank you very much, Joe. Thank you to all our speakers, Kim, Rick, and Joe this morning. We now open it up for a question and answer period. We ask that request for phone numbers please wait until after this recording has stopped. Other than that, you're welcome to direct your questions to any of our panelists. You can do so by pressing star one to unmute. Who would like to pose the first question this morning? Hi, Leah. It's Sally from New Jersey. Good morning. Good morning.
4: I'd like to um, pose a question to each of the three speakers this morning,
0: if they wouldn't mind. I would really like to hear um, concisely, what then do they consider their trigger foods? Okay, we've heard some of that, but we'll review quickly. Kim, starting with Kim, then we'll move to Rick and Joe. Your trigger foods... Or a partial list, please. Thanks. Um, This is Kendall. Like I said, I I went
1: to a meeting that specifically told me four foods. It was sugar, flour, wheat, and caffeine. What I found for myself was that wheat and caffeine were not triggers. But it wasn't until I got food sober enough and um, went through the steps that I understood that sugar and flour were my main ones. I have discovered... Other ones, the same way that Joe was talking about, um, one of mine was peanuts. I started to figure out even if I could put peanuts in my breakfast, I would do it. But what I, peace is so important to me that I have just decided not to eat any nuts. I'm not willing to go through the drama of trying a walnut or a cashew. Since I knew that peanuts were, um, I was abstaining from them, I decided to do all nuts because I wasn't going to take that chance. I also had to look at foods that just satisfy me that I was hungry afterwards. So I choose not to eat popcorn or um, rice cakes because both of those, the portion sizes that I'm allotted, I am not satisfied by. Um, So that is now part of my abstinence. There is a difference between abstinence and a food plan. My food plan has changed throughout the years depending on my job, depending on where I was in my, um, my weight, depending on my activity level. But my abstinence does not change. So my abstinence has always been sugar and flour. Um, I now do eat wheat. I stopped drinking caffeine, not because of accidents, but because I recognized I was getting headaches from it. And once again, I don't have the obsession in mind. I don't like the headaches, so I don't drink caffeine anymore. Um, and I've now added in the peanuts, the um, popcorn, rice cakes.
2: Um, and with that, I pass.
0: Thank you, Kim. Rick, please
2: well sugar for sure um and i'm talking about the man made added sugar i don't look at an apple and say oh my god sugar uh although some people some people cannot can uh, overdo it on fruit that's not a problem it's the added man made sugar um i was i had switched to a low calorie drink a juice drink and somebody said to me the sugar in that, I said, how can it be sugar? It's 50 percent less calories. And sure as heck, the second ingredient I think was um, high fructose corn syrup. So any of those sugar products are absolutely out. Um, cereal The only cereal I'll eat is shredded wheat. There are a few others with no sugar, but I they some of them taste like styrofoam. Shredded wheat has no sugar, so I I'll go with that. Although I don't eat. Um, You know, wheat flour. Wheat itself, I don't see it a problem with the, well, in shredded wheat anyway. Um, Flour products, cookies, cakes, candy, that kind of flour products. Um, I I do one of my snacks kind of like out of the rice cake type of food is a rye crisp. And the only thing that's in it is whole grain rye. And uh, water, I think, and maybe oil. So, technically, I guess it's flour, but um, it's not. A, it's a type of good. Um, and I said uh, milk. Milk is absolutely a binge food. I love milk, and I just couldn't couldn't stop eating, couldn't stop drinking milk. And then I found out uh, anything with butter fat in it, butter uh, or spreads and that kind of thing and i get rid of the diet coke so it is basically a list of ingredients um list of foods so i'll pass
0: thank you rick and now to joe Yes, hi. Well, my trigger foods
3: would be sugar, and that is sugar if it's fifth or beyond on the ingredients label. So, you know, that leaves out any kind of, you know, bakery items, cookies, candies, things like that. I also look on food labels and I'm looking for, you know, words like corn syrup, dextrose, concentrated fruit juice, anything that sounds like sugar, it can't be in there in the first four ingredients. Uh, I also abstain from sugar free items so i 'm not looking for sugar free ice cream and things like that. I, I stay away from all that stuff. Flour is my next big category, any type of flour whatsoever so you know the the types of specific foods that would come under that would be you know pretty large, but you know breads, crackers croutons, you know, any pastas. I mean, I, I just can't handle any flour of any kind. I also abstain from wheat. Um, because most wheat comes in the form of flour products, my flour abstinence usually takes care of the wheat. But like I wouldn't eat, you know, a wheat-based cereal, for example, if it was not flour, but it was wheat-based, I would not eat that. Any wheat item um, I, I don't eat, it just, uh, it triggers me. Um, high salt, so I look at the sodium content of foods, uh, and I don't add salt to my foods. And high fat, so I have to look at the saturated fat content of foods. So, like, I abstain from butter, mar- margarine, um, those kinds of things, um, peanut butter. I just I can't handle that. And then my last category is volume. I abstain from eating too much food, and that's what the weighing and the measuring takes care of that because my food plan is constructed for my needs, for my body. And so I have the right amount of food in my food plan. So it's neither too much nor too little. And
0: I'll pass. Thank you to our three speakers on that. Uh, And thank you to the question. Um, I believe that was Sally Anyone else with a question this morning? Hi, this
4: is Rita, a compulsive overeater. Good morning. Good morning. First of all, I want to thank all three of you. I learned so much from each and every one of you, especially the one that I think Joe said that um, um, uh, my food's okay. That's me. I always say, my food's okay. What does that, hell does that mean, Rita? You know, is is it abstinence? And I want to know, like, um, I guess maybe for Joe or any of you really, when did you all of a sudden, was it the the psychic change Just you got up and, <clears throat> and you said, not this enough? Did God come to you? I mean, you know, when you finally thought the food was where it should be and you weren't saying it was okay, it, it was, you know, you were working the steps, did it just come gradually or did, I don't know. I don't know if any of you know what I'm saying, but... I'll just put that out to you, and thank you very much for being there. I thoroughly enjoyed it.
3: Well, this is Joe. For me, it happened gradually. Because I'm an addict, I fight ideas that tell me that I'm supposed to give up control. So, yeah, it was a gradual process over time when I – would go to OA meetings and would hear someone say they're giving up a particular food and I would think about that or I would look at, you know, what am I really going for and, you know, why is that? And I had been through four years of uh, experience in OA when I was presented with this new message and I had been through so much pain and so much debate that when I was presented with that really strong message, I just was, I was in a place of being willing to drop the defenses and grab on to that new message. You asked, did God come to me? God comes to me in the fellowship and through other people and through the big book. Um, So yes, God came to me in the form of a very powerful message that said, if you are a really bad off food addict, you have to put the food down in very specific ways. So I find God in the practice of my abstinence and the practice of the steps.
0: I'll pass. Thank Thank you, you. Joe. Would anyone else like to respond to Rita's question?
1: This is Kim. Go ahead, Kim. I just wanted to respond that, you know, I spent many years being restless, irritable, and discontent when I was just being abstinent. So the, the spiritual experience, the psychic change, is separate from the absence. The absence is what makes you available for that. And I spent many years as a very skinny girl, stark-raving accident, and miserable, and thinking that was the best that I could ever hope for in LA. That was That was the be-all and the end-all. I mean, that saying we often hear, absence is the most important thing in my life today, without exception. I lived that for years. I had to go back into relapse and recognize the powerlessness and understand that I had to get beyond just being abstinent. So when I truly got to the point that I wanted, I was just so powerless. I didn't care if I got to a size two again, which I am not and will not get there because that was insane. Um, So that I surrendered to this process, cleaned up the steps, but I thought I did well enough, but went back and realized I was still controlling how much I was going to surrender. And at that point, someone, a good friend of mine told me I was recovered, and I didn't believe her. And she's was seeing that psychic change. And what I have found is if you are recovered, you are going to be abstinent. Because you have been restored to sanity. You know, my food plan now is about how can I get the nutrition in me that I need so I can fully enjoy this life that God has given me. But I was able to be abstinent for many years and just be a stark, raving lunatic. Um, So there is a difference. And and being recovered, to me, is about putting God first in my life. Whatever decisions I make is about how can I feel peace today? And that question that I was asked all the time, you know, something bad, well, how's your food? It doesn't even make sense to me now because that's irrelevant. Whereas in years of abstinence, that was the first question that people asked, and it was the first thing I said. I was powerful enough to resist the food. I mean I didn't say it that way, but that's what I was basically saying. I'm still accident because I can do this myself. So I hope that kind of clarifies it. There's a definite difference between being recovered
0: and just being abstinent. And with that I passed. Thank you, Kim. Uh, it's Rick. I'm I consider
2: myself fortunate that I figured out what my binge foods were, put them down, and had several months under my belt before I started looking at the steps. I didn't want anything to do with those steps for many, many years until um, I became abstinent. Then I became willing. Um, I just was not going to look at anything spiritual anything that those people were talking about uh it didn't make sense to me when i put down my binge foods when the weight came off then i became willing to listen to what other people were talking about working the steps so the 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 spiritual awakening was not centered around the food the spiritual awakening was centered around my life the way i was living i I, the book says lack of power was our dilemma well i was able to find power by working those steps i did not find abstinence by working the steps i was able to find a better way of living by working the steps and fortunately i was abstinent and it so happens that we we are here to work on our our food problem well there are people out there that get results from working the steps that don't have a problem with food so the the connection with the food is i think kind of indirect but it's It's relevant in the fact that that's the reason I came here. That's the reason I picked up those steps is because I was hanging around with people that had trouble with food, and they said, try doing this. Try these steps and see what happens. And when I started working the steps, then I found tangible results as a result of those steps. So um, don't look for the steps to magically take away the food problem because I don't think that's how it works. I'll pass.
0: Thank you very much, speakers. Thank you to Rita for posing that question. Any other questions this morning? You'll need to press star 1 to un- unmute your phone. Hi, this is Diane from New Hampshire. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I have this direct uh, this question
4: directed uh, first of all to Joe and then put to the rest um, of the panel, which I got so much out of today. Um, I was happy, Joe, that you talked about what you... Eat. I wasn't, I don't write fast enough to write down everything. But I did get breakfast, and um, I've been told right now that I'm losing weight too quickly and I need to add a protein to my breakfast, which I was not doing. Um, So, my question for you is uh, can you tell me what you actually had for breakfast, even just for today? And also, Um, for your protein what are your choices what do you eat for protein and that's directed for all of you really my and also yogurt I I enjoy yogurt but some of my yogurts I've been eating um, have too much sugar in and I've been yogurt hunting so I I buy my own yogurt I put my own fruit in it I I think that's the, the best way to do it I've tried Greek yogurt plain yogurt um, the yogurt I had yesterday, I realized that with the combination of the two was just too much sugar. Thank you very much today. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. I pass. Sure. Well, before I before I
3: answer that question, I just want to check with Lay. I want to re- I want to uh, honor the um, the format uh, and and the protocol of your meeting. I mean, how detailed is it? Okay, for me to go into with regard to specific
0: foods. Thank you, Joe. Well, I think. It's important to stress here that uh you know we look for the guidance of a doctor, nutritionist, or dietitian. We're all coming with different medical histories, our bodies uh are different um so you know uh I add that disclaimer uh at this point that what works for Joe in terms of the quantity of food that is necessary for Her body, her age, her stature, her medical history, her activity level might be quite different than you, um, Diane. Uh, So we have to keep that in mind. So with that, um, Joe, why don't you just name some of the proteins that you utilize? Uh, We won't go into quantities at this time. Oh, sure. Um, Well, proteins that I eat include eggs,
3: beans, you know, like the legumes, um meats but lean meats i don't use you know fried or breaded uh, meats um tofu fish what else um those are most of my proteins come from those sources
0: thank you joe mhm thank you um you know i quite uh you know food plans much like prescriptions you know when you go to a physician and the doctor diagnoses you with a particular condition he di- he prescribes a medication based on your age based on your weight based on how your body may process that particular drug of his choice so uh what in a prescription i may need two tablespoons where you may need one tablespoon i may need that prescription uh dose three times a day, you, uh, because of your medical history and your weight and your age, you may need that prescription only twice a day. So I think we have to keep that in mind uh, as we're speaking about food plans that, yes, they are individualized. That doesn't uh, prevent you from calling one another and speaking about some of these matters on the telephone, but here on this recording, I don't think it suits us well. So I thank you for the question. Thank you to the speakers. Anyone else? Hi, this is Debbie. I have a question for
5: Joe. Please go ahead. Joe, you mentioned um, that you abstain from foods, food amounts and food manipulations. And by the way, I really appreciate this whole panel. I've just gotten so much from it. Um, I understand the foods, I guess, and I understand the food volume because volume triggers me too. It's like when I eat too much, then I just want to eat more because I'm uncomfortable. But what does food manipulations mean? Thank you.
3: Mm -hmm. Well, it's really any kind of game playing with my food plan of any kind. Uh, It is being honest with myself about what my food plan actually says and adhering to that and not playing games, like not – Not saying, for example, I'll just, well, let's see, I'll just make up a scenario. Let's say I'm at a grocery store and they have a salad bar and the salad bar has legumes there. But I don't know if those legumes have sugar in them. But I say to myself, well, they're legumes. Most of what's in there is protein. There might be a little bit of sugar, but most of it's protein. So that's okay for me to have that. That is a manipulation of my food plan. Does that answer your question?
5: Yes, I think it does. Do you also like avoid um any kind of sauce or a- any w- way that food is prepared when you if you eat in a restaurant where
0: there is is that part of the food manipulation too? Is that you just if if you're in doubt, you leave it out?
3: Yes, and that's a really good question. Um, first of all, I rarely eat in restaurants um, because I find it to be um, really annoying to have to do all all the jumping through hoops that I have to do to eat in a restaurant. I don't want to spend my time like that. Um, what is governing for me is wherever I'm eating, I'm following my food plan. I do not veer off my food plan because of the location of where I'm eating or the time of day or whether it's a holiday or it's evening or morning, I'm following my food plan no matter what. Last weekend, I went on an out-of-town trip, just a day trip. (laughs) Not a day trip, but then overnight, I brought all my food with me because it was just going to be easier for me to do that than than anything else. Um, In terms of sauces and the way food is prepared, absolutely. I cannot afford to surrender my abstinence to anybody else, even a well-meaning chef in a restaurant. If I Let's say I were in a restaurant and there was, you know, broiled chicken on the menu, I would have to ask the the server and or the the chef or the cook, do you broil that? Do you put anything on that? You know, because in restaurants, I mean, they'll just brush something on really quickly, and all of a sudden I've got butter on broiled chicken, and I can't eat butter. So my food really, it, it operates like a prescription drug plan. It's that serious to me. I do not mess around with a prescription drug, therefore I do not mess around with my prescribed food plan. It's it's that my, my condition is so severe that I can't afford to to manipulate, mess around with the dose or the timing or, or anything. Does that
0: answer your question? Yes, thank you so much. Thank you, Joe. And thank you for the question. Anyone else this morning with questions? to either Kim, Rick, or Joe. You'll need to press star one to unmute. Yes, good morning.
5: Um, My name is Sandy, and I want to thank everyone um, so much.
0: I heard such wonderful things today that I needed to hear. I've been on vacation for a few days, so I feel like my brain's been on vacation. But I just want to thank you all, and I wanted to ask, would it be appropriate to ask for the phone numbers of the speakers? We're going to get those phone numbers after the recording has stopped. Oh, I thought the recording stopped. I'm sorry. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. And, Leia, thank you, too, for all of your wonderful, wonderful, wonderful help. Our pleasure. Thank you. thank you. Anyone else this morning with a question?
1: Hi, this is Maggie, and compulsive overeater. And I don't know how to really um, articulate this question. <clears throat> if you can improve on it, I've, that would be fine. But I'm thinking of the balance between preoccupation with food, obsession,
4: and and coming to some conclusions about what we can have as compulsive overeaters, if you could just address that or your experience with it, I think that would be helpful. And you, all of you have been extremely helpful to me already. Thank you, and I pass.
0: Thank you, Maggie. I believe the question is deciphering, you know, preoccupation versus triggers, physical triggers, any of the speakers like to take a a stab at that? Hi, this is Kim. Go ahead, Kim. Uh,
1: I I had sort of talked about that fact that I was so drunk on the food, I really didn't understand what a trigger was or what a trigger wasn't. I just was so confused and so overwhelmed with that that I just had to trust somebody, and they said, this is the common ingredients that they find with people who have a problem, and I was going to surrender to that, and I do the same thing with my sponsees. I, you know, we look at common ingredients. Um, one of the things I do with my sponsees is I have them look almost like a traffic light. I have them say, okay, what are the foods that are red light that you absolutely positively know that you cannot eat? Then there's a the yellow light. What do you are not sure about? It seems like you overeat them sometimes, but you're not really sure. And then what are those green light items? Those items that you know you do not have a problem with? And then I go through and we kind of look for what are those common ingredients in those foods. And what I was willing to do is just to say, okay, if you're telling me that I – like, for example, like, like I have a hamburger almost every night. If someone said to me, Kim, I just don't want you to eat hamburger anymore – It'd be kind of annoying because i have to think of other proteins to eat, but it wouldn't be the death that I felt when someone told me not to eat flour. So I think sometimes we just have to be willing to try something for a certain amount of time, and I will talk to sponsors, and if they're not sure about something, I will say, well, let's not eat that. And when we get to step through step nine, if you still feel like it may not be a problem for you, then let's look at that, and maybe we'll try at that food three times in a week, and we'll check to see, does that obsession come back? you know. And I would say eight out of ten times. My son has never even asked me if they can try that food again because they're feeling so good. Why even mess with it? And if they do want to try it, oftentimes they will um, try it once and go, oh, no way, I'm not trying that again. That wasn't worth it. And that's what happened to me with wheat. You know, I was having difficulty. I didn't have a lot of cereals. I had gone through the steps. I said to my sponsor, I don't think wheat's a problem. I want to try to get some different cereals in. And we tried shredded wheat three times a week. And she said to me, what would you say if I told you not to eat shredded wheat again? And I said, well, it would be annoying to have to eat puff rice so many times. That was basically all it was. She was, okay, then shredded wheat isn't an issue. I hardly ever have shredded wheat because it really isn't an issue. Um, but I need to get through the clarity of the steps in order to be able to look at that point of view. So to me, I think it's just a willingness to say, if this is the common ingredient. I mean, one of the shows talked about, I, I don't have an issue with fat or sugar, We I mean, touch fat or salt. I see that as a very common thing when I'm sponsoring now. And if I see people gravitating towards that, we just talk about the fact, are you willing to do that so you get through the steps? And once again, the steps, when I work with a sponsee, is two to three months normally to get through the steps, and then let's go back and revisit that issue. So it's not as much about deprivation of ever, 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 ever having it again, but let's put down what the common ingredients are, let's get through these steps, let's get restored to sanity, and then we can go back and look at that to see if there's maybe something, maybe, you know, maybe you know, I abstained from for a couple of years and it didn't hurt me any, even though it wasn't an issue for me. So I hope that kind of um, clarifies a little bit um, the, the processes I go through with my font and I had to go through, and without a passed
0: thank you kim Even, either Rick or Joe like to respond to that as well Well, well I do think
3: I it, to... it oh go ahead, Rick
2: oh, I'm sorry um sure, real quick uh, I just look at my track record when it comes with to food um. You know, I'll, I'll use this example. If I have uh, uh, roasted tur- roasted chicken for supper tonight, and um, regardless of how much roasted chicken I eat, it goes into the refrigerator and the leftovers there. Well, that roasted chicken sits there until uh, supper time tonight or maybe lunch or the next day. Um, it's it, It's not... an an addictive food and i I like i don't think it's inappropriate to use that word but if i have a box of oreos and one box probably you know big box i'm going to eat those oreos until i am absolutely can't eat another one they're going to go on the kitchen counter and the first thing i do in the morning is i'm going to eat oreos so when i look at my track record I can see the patterns that I did with food um I knew I knew what I was doing with food. I just never looked at it in a structured way where I was going to eliminate those things um, so i i think I think that's the purpose of people um doing step one with the detailed written inventory on their food, and I think that helps out a lot. So I'll pass.
3: Thank you, Rick. Joe? Well, I do think the food plan is a matter of trial and error, trying things, seeing what works, paying attention to if something triggers you either physically or the preoccupation. I mean, sometimes I have found and and sponsees have found that when they pull apart a food item, sometimes there's a food that they can eat that they might and this was true for me too, foods that I thought I might not be able to eat, I actually have been able to eat because I'm not adding the problem food onto it. You know, for example, um, oatmeal, let's say. Well, if, I mean, a lot of us, I mean, I I was this way, you know, oatmeal, well, I had to have brown sugar on that oatmeal. Well, then the question in abstinence becomes, if I take the brown sugar off the oatmeal, do I still want to binge on the oatmeal? Do I want to binge on plain oatmeal that doesn't have anything on it? If I do not want to binge on the plain oatmeal and I can eat it in safety and I do not obsess about it, then oatmeal becomes a safe food for me. It's the brown sugar that's unsafe. If I'm binging on bread and butter and I take the butter off the bread and say, well, okay, now am I going to binge on that bread without the butter? Yeah. So that means that the, that the bread is a problem. The butter is also a problem, but the bread is a problem. So that's something that I have found very helpful is to, you know, pull apart the various components of a binge food and see if I'm going to binge on the one that's remaining. The other thing that I've had to do is realize that there are some abstinent foods that I can't combine because that creates a problem food for me. Uh, I com- one time I combined a um, a starch, a fat, and a seasoning together that by themselves were abstinent. But when I combined them, it made me think of a food I used to binge on. And so I can't combine them. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and the other thing is if 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 the thought of taking a food off of my food plan makes me want to cry, that food has got to go. Because that means I'm too attached to it and if a food is calling to me in some way even when i'm not eating it it's got to go if it's if i'm if i'm um fixated on that food it's got to go this and this happened recently someone um gave me a donation of some food items one of which was a smoked type of meat and I'm sure, and she was a program person, so I'm sure it didn't have any sugar in it, but it was smoked. And smoked items um, are a problem for me. Um, and I, I even remember buying liquid smoke one time thinking, well, gee, that's a way to flavor food. And I knew as soon as I opened up and smelled it, it just it just reminded me of the salty foods I used to binge on. And so I gave this smoked meat item to a neighbor of mine um, who, you know, was happy to take it. So even though I did not I did not physically eat the smoked meat, so I can't say for 100% sure that it would have triggered me physically, but I wasn't going to take the chance, and I didn't want a smoked item taking up
0: any room in my head. So I'll pass. Thank you very much. Thank you. Any other questions this morning? Press star 7 to unmute. Going once, twice.
6: Hi, this is Nahama from Cleveland.
0: Yes. Good morning.
6: Good morning. Um, I have no doubt that I'm a compulsive overeater. A problem that I have is that it did happen in my life when I did eat something that was usually a problem, and at that certain time, it didn't cause me a problem, and that gets me very confused. Like, for example, I would be in a certain event, and there was uh, something served, like, and I I would eat it, and I wouldn't overeat after that, and I would feel like, so I don't know what's happening. I mean, like, I know I'm a compulsive overeater. I I know I have a problem with that product. Why do I have certain times in my life? then it doesn't affect me the same way. It's very confusing to me. So I would like if, you know, I can get comments about it. Thank you.
0: Anyone like to respond to that question, please? Hi, this is Kim. Go ahead, Kim.
1: Um, The doctor's opinion tells us that Even if we experience that phenomenon of craving once, we are part of that distinct entity. So, in more about alcoholism, also tells us that we will have every form of self-deception and experimentation to prove that we are like normal eaters. You know, so my experience has been, you know, if I had a, a month in 1986 where I felt like I ate normally, that proved that I wasn't a compulsive overeater. And that's the way that I justified it. And, uh, you know, for myself, if I pick up, like, I don't drink alcohol, not because I'm an alcoholic, but because it's got sugar in it. And I may not be triggered the night I drink alcohol or the next day I drink alcohol, but that second day, I'm going to have my head in the be- in, a, in an ice cream carton. So sometimes I think what we do is we think, well, if I don't immediately feel that pull, if, you know, as Jim said, the experiment went so well that he tried something later, that's a way for me to say this isn't a problem for me. But I just know for myself that if I am giving that any extra thought, it's normally a problem. I do not think about controlling something that I don't need to control. You know, I love green beans, but when I have green beans, I just have green beans. I don't think about it. I often won't have green beans go bad in the refrigerator because I forget that I bought them. But when it comes to my binge foods, I can give you a lineup in a pantry of exactly where every single thing is. You know, so that's just been my experience is that, you know, if you experience that phenomenon of craving once, then you are, you know, then I was a compulsive overeater. And I do not try to control things that I don't need to control. You know, so once again, it's it's a willingness to put down the food and start to work the steps that will help us get that clarity to see if there's something else that we need to look at. And, and these things do, you know, develop over time. You know, um, some of the stuff that I needed to do in my early accidents, I don't need to do now. Other stuff that I could do in my early accidents... I don't, I can't do it, I need to be a little bit more strict about it. Like, for example, you know, I do lay and measure, but I do not lay and measure when I go out to restaurants. Um, I have certain restaurants I go to that I know that, that, you know, an omelet, you know, with egg whites plus cheese is, is within my framework, and I feel comfortable doing that. I, it's not something I recommend in your early estimates, but it's something that I, you know, over time I feel comfortable with. So... If you have that phenomenon of craving even once, you know, like I said, my dad's a big eater. I mean, when, I, when he, my dad comes over to my house, I have to make three or four servings for him because when there's food available, he'll eat it. When it's not available, he doesn't eat it. He doesn't have to think about controlling it. He just enjoys it when it's there, and if it's not there, no big deal. That is not my experience. So, you know, I like to go back to that doctor's opinion. If we experience a phenomenon of craving even once, and we are part of that distinct entity that has the allergy of the body. And with that, I pass.
3: Hi, this is Joe. Um, I do have to get off the line because I have to call my sponsor at 915, so it's been great to be with you all today. Leah, you are free to pass my number along to everyone um, when the opportunity arises.
0: Thank you, Joe. Thank you. Have a great for day, everybody. Thank you for your participation. Bye now. Bye. All right, and I thank you, Kim, for response to that question. Any other questions this morning where we bid each other farewell? Hi,
5: Leah. This
0: is Margaret. Margaret, go ahead.
5: Hi. Thank you for the meeting today. Um, I anticipated and look forward to it so much. Um, I guess I could ask Rick and um, Kim both this question, and that is uh, what do either one of you think of um, because I think both of you may have said you don't eat butter or margarine and I and I'm pretty sure Joe didn't either but what do you think of or do you ever use like you know the spray butter which is supposedly no calories but I would imagine it's a lot of uh chemicals and another thing in particular is agave nectar which is like it's like syrup but it's supposedly healthier for you so those two items specifically thank
2: you hi it's rick um you know uh, that one always gets uh gets into detail i don't you know i don't use butter i don't use margarine because i found i can binge on them what i put on a baked potato is uh those butter flavored sprinkles uh butter buds and then uh, somebody's going to come after me and say Oh, but uh, there's sugar in there, uh, maltodextrin and that kind of stuff. And uh, there may very well be, but what I found is I eliminated the butter. I wasn't binging on the butter. I put this stuff on my baked potato, and I'm not uh, eating it out of the bottle. So that's what I do. Now, you might not be able to do that. Somebody else might not be able to do that. Uh, Somebody else might get triggered by whatever's in those butter buds. Um we're all different in that regard, so there's no there's nothing definite. So you're gonna have to uh I guess figure that one out for yourself without being too crass. But um boy we're all so different with this these food items and it it's uh it's it can be a tough one. You can it's almost like that chicken or the egg uh problem. And uh, so I, my fo- my food plan is good enough, and it's doing what it needs to do. And if I find I have a problem, then I'll modify it. And I think that's the approach we have to take. As long as you're doing what you set out to do, you're you're all right. And then if something's a problem, you fix it. So I'll pass.
0: Thank you, Rick. Kim, did you want to add to that at all? Um, I just want to
1: add, butter and high fat foods isn't one of my triggers um in fact i don't really like butter so um it's really not an issue for me and i honestly never heard of the other thing you
4: were talking about that's not something i've ever heard of
0: thank you thank you for the question again i think uh thank you rick you know once again we are individuals when the alcoholic crawls his or her way into an aa room Everyone sitting there has uh, one thing in common in that they are allergic to a substance called alcohol. That is the common ingredient. very simple. There might be all different kinds of beverages out there from beer to wine to cocktails, etc. but the common ingredient that they're all allergic to is that alcohol. Alcohol. When they ingest alcohol, it triggers a phenomenon of craving. For the compulsive overeater, it is a much more complicated process, indeed that's true. Now there are certain uh, common substances, you've heard them described this morning. Sugar is a common substance, flour is a common substance, fat's common, uh, but in terms of the specifics, the details, whether that's true or you for you or not, that has to be worked out with uh, a recovered compulsive overeater, a sponsor, and the help of your dietitian, nutritionist, doctor in terms of the specifics, quantities, amounts, timing, et cetera, like that. Thank you. Yes, it is much, much more complicated. Hence, the uh, purpose of the abstinence panel is to invite three individuals to the line. And you can hear this morning Kim, Rick, and Joe speaking about those same topics of allergy of the body, trigger food, phenomenon of craving but you can hear the actual analyzing of those foods what's what foods you know are on those lists are are differing they're differing um there might be some overlap but what bothers one person what triggers one person doesn't necessarily trigger another so thank you speakers. Any other questions? This morning, press star 1 to unmute. Hi, this is my name is Karen. I'm a compulsive overeater. And I
5: have a question regarding the trigger food and how and did either of you have difficulty accepting life without them? And um, and that sounds like pr- a pretty immature type of question, but it seems like... Um, <laughs> I keep thinking, how do you just? How long did it take you to deal with life without them? And my list of trigger foods are so long. Uh, I'm probably, I'm triggered by most fruit, other than just a few berries. And I end up boiling most of my protein, but it's like I've, I'm mourning the food that. To me, they're healthy foods, but they trigger me. And it's like this is how I'll spend the rest of my life. And then I end up binging because I can't deal with life without these food items. So I just wanted to see if either of you had to deal with mourning the loss of the food items that trigger you. Thank you.
1: Hi, this is Kim. I'll start out. Um, I just want to say first, I really enjoy my food. You know, abstinence is not about making your food so bland and distasteful that you hope to God you're not going to binge. You know, it's about eliminating those foods that have that allergy, that have that phenomenon of craving. And what I found for myself was I was so focused on those foods I was allergic to, I didn't realize other food existed. So it was frightening and scary, and it was. It was like a death. It was like a death. And I saw it as this huge thing that I will never get to enjoy food again. I will never be able to go to an Italian restaurant. I will never be able to go to Aunt Sally's Thanksgiving. I will never be able to participate in Halloween. You know, but what I found was when I put that food down in conjunction with working the steps, that I was able to um, put food in this proper perspective. You know, food is not the most interesting thing in my life today. Food is something that I do to give my, my body the nutrition it needs so that I can go out into the world and enjoy the many blessings that God, God gives me, you know. Um, and I enjoy my food. It's nutritious. Um, and, yes, it was it was frightening. It was scary. Like I said, when I used to think I would never go into an Italian restaurant because I could eat flour, and now I look forward to Italian restaurants because I can have, you know, shrimp or whatever I eat over sauteed spinach. I could have it over broccoli rabe, so I can still enjoy it. It's just that I was so focused on the fact I couldn't have pasta that it seemed like my life was over. You know, um, what I found, too, was once my um, mouth was was cleared of the intensity that that my body was having with these allergic reactions, suddenly food actually tasted better. Because I couldn't taste an omelet when literally it was like, you know, one part omelet and three parts ketchup. You know, because I was trying to get all that sugar in the ketchup on top of the omelet. When I stopped having the ketchup, I'm like, wow, an omelet actually tastes good. I like what's in the omelet because I was just using that omelet as a vehicle to get that sugar on top of it. So, yes, it was difficult, but I'll tell you, it, it's, it's – and once again, and, you know, and, and this isn't just my opinion, but in a way, I think one of the things we do is we make the steps so much longer and more complicated I mean, I hear you have to be asking in a four-year before you do your fourth step. I know people that are two years into doing a fourth step and they haven't completed it. If we are willing to put that food down and then we go through this process, um, then we're going to get to the point that we're going to feel sanity and we're not going to be having what you're talking about, that grieving, that, that angst, that, that terror of not ever having those foods again, you know, um, because we're going to be restored to sanity, and we can get back to having it. Not to say that, and once again, we are never cured, that allergy will never be gone, but suddenly there's all these other foods that I never really went to before that I enjoy, and, you know, there's a beginning and an end to it. I'm not obsessing over it. I have my breakfast. I enjoy life till lunch. I have my lunch. I enjoy life till dinner. I have my dinner. I enjoy life till I go to bed. You know, and the food plan might change. I've had snacks at different times, according to what my nutritionist says. But I live life between those meals. So absolutely, to me, it was like a death, but at the same time with the steps it is a rebirth into a life where food is in its proper place where I can enjoy it. But the focus, you know, I'll I'll give you two examples. Halloween and um, Super Bowl Sunday. Halloween was so painful for me because you know, how could I deprive the children of the candy? How could I deprive them? But the fact was the candy was never left for them because I would eat all the candy before the kids came. And if the kids come, I would freak out because I want to keep the candy to myself. Once I got, you know, the food down and I went through the steps, I was like, these kids are cute. Look at the parents and how they made this asset. Isn't it fun to ask them what their outfit is? You know, suddenly I enjoyed Halloween in a way I didn't even know I could. Now, the Super Bowl Sunday, which was my favorite binge foods, you know, I, was, I didn't go to Super Bowl Sunday for a couple of years, and I went to Super Bowl Sunday, and I thought, heck, I don't like football. And I never went to Super Bowl Sunday again, because I recognized the only reason I went to Super Bowl Sunday was because of my binge foods. I don't like football. I want to talk to people. Everyone wants to watch the game. So I don't go to Super Bowl Sunday anymore. When we're restored to sanity, we can go back into those situations that used to torture us and we you can experience them in a different way, like I did Halloween, or you may choose not to participate in it like I did with Super Bowl Sunday. So I hope that kind of um, helps out a little bit, with that I've had.
0: Thank you, Kim. Certainly made me chuckle. <laughs> you don't like football.
6: <laughs>
0: uh, thank you, thank you. Rick, did you want to talk about grieving the food any morning that you went through?
2: Um. I guess what she's talking about is the uh, mental obsession, and all I can say is that it it gets less. Um, I I don't know if I grieved or, but it 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 gets less and less and less, and uh, over time. And maybe I answer answer my own question uh, as Kim said, maybe that's the reason why we have to work these steps. So we we. Uh, we gain that power and something becomes more important than those binge foods. So at least that's uh that's the explanation I, I like to put on it. Otherwise uh I'd probably be hanging on that uh cra- craving or wanting for a cupcake for a long time. So I uh, you know, uh we we do it for a day at a time, but I hate to tell you it's for the rest of your life, so we got to we got to give it up. I'll pass.
0: Thank you. Yes. Important comments there. You know, sometimes we have uh selective memories. We we experience memories of the "quote unquote good old days and all the foods we used to "quote unquote enjoy. I think it's important to remember that a lot of those memories um you know, are really euphoric recall. <laughs> I think it's very important to remember the tears and the despair and the misery uh, that those foods uh, and those behaviors and compulsive overeating brought into our life. And it is these steps, these 12 steps that are outlined in the first 164 pages that lead us to the obsession of the mind being expelled where it is driven out sanity has been restored and we get to a place where it's not that we can't have those foods we get to a place where we no longer desire those foods we no longer want those foods that's why we have an objective a goal and an aim and that is called to be recovered recovered where the obsession of the mind is driven out it's expelled and we are able to live usefully and happily and walk under the grace of God. Thank you to our speakers this morning, Kim, Rick, and Joe. We appreciate your participation. And thank you to all those who asked questions this morning and all those in attendance. We thank you very much. And with that, we will pass for this morning. Thank you. Do we get phone